Hi, I'm Asha Tomlinson. And I'm David Common. And we're hosts of CBC Marketplace. We're award-winning investigative journalists that want to help you avoid clever scams, unsafe products, and sketchy services. Our TV show has been Canada's top investigative consumer watchdog for more than 50 years. But this is our first podcast. CBC Marketplace podcast is available now on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. Since the earliest days of the pandemic, some people who have recovered from the coronavirus have complained of long COVID symptoms. There's still much to learn about the condition, but science appears to be getting a handle on it. So this week we're asking, what do we know now about long COVID? Hi, Manali. Welcome to The Dose. Thank you for inviting me. So it's very interesting. You know, you study and know a lot about long COVID and apparently you've had it. How weird is that? Um, It is weird. And if you look at it from another angle, it's not very weird at all. Often people who study or get passionate about uh, a topic, they always have some personal experience, you know, stemming it. Sometimes it's a close family member and sometimes it's themselves. And I'm part of the pandemic. It's not, uh, it's absolutely not a surprise that I got the infection and I am one of the many who have had persistent symptoms and I'm, I'm going through it as I try to learn about it. So I'm going to want to hear a lot about that. But before we begin, can you give us a hi, my name is, tell us what you do and where you do it. Hello, my name is Manali Mukherjee. I am an assistant professor of medicine uh, with the Department of Medicine at McMaster University and an affiliate scientist uh, at the Research Institute of St. Joe's with Firestone Institute for Respiratory Health. I am a respiratory scientist and an immunologist by training. Pre-pandemic, um, I, my, my specialty was around uh, understanding the immunology of chronic airways disease. And uh, thereafter, because of my training, um, I have been interested to understand the immunology that drives the severity of the acute COVID infection and thereafter why some people have persistent symptoms now called long COVID. All right, here we go. What makes someone a long COVID sufferer? Is there an official definition? Yes, there is. It's been a year since we have an official definition from World Health Organization. So the WHO defines it as a condition in individuals with a history of probable or confirmed SARS-CoV-2 infection, usually three months from the onset of COVID-19 with symptoms that last for at least two months and cannot be explained by an alternative diagnosis. So that is literally the uh, definition that was given by World Health Organization. Uh, But in layman terms, if you've had COVID and if you're still having persisting symptoms, at least 12 weeks from the time you had the acute infection and that is not something that you had before and that is not something that it has a diagnosis, then possibly you are still having persistent symptoms from your COVID infection. You could very well have been an asymptomatic or a person who had mild COVID and recovered at home and suddenly you start getting all these symptoms three months later. Even that can be uh, under the umbrella of long COVID. You've been studying long COVID patients for some time now. What's the most common symptom? It's a constellation of symptoms and not everybody with long COVID has the same symptoms. That's the most important thing to understand. So the different reports and the surveys that have come 
come out in the last one, one and a half years have almost reported up to 200 different symptoms. And it's like a mix and match. But the five or six most common ones that's popping up, fatigue is a big killer. There's a study that was done, a systematic review, which showed that 58% of long COVID sufferers report fatigue. And these are like, this is like really debilitating fatigue. It's just so fatigued that you don't even feel like getting up from bed and walking to living room. The second one is brain fog. Again, a very um, ambiguous term. So what it generally entails is confusion, inability to focus, short-term memory lapses, not remembering things properly, and general, you know, a gen- general weird coordination with your executive functions. So brain fog is something that is often uh, reported. Shortness of breath, but with more with exercise or on exertion, so exertional dyspnea. Um, some people still end up having the cough, joint pains, basic malaise, body aches, muscle aches. This is something that is also reported pretty common. Uh, chest pain, chest tightness, again, not as common as shortness of breath or fatigue, but we do hear people having that, uh, you know, tightness of chest. Um, rashes are seen. Uh, some problem with olfactory as in your your smell sometimes phantosmia parosmia is when you have a known smell but you don't smell it the way it should smell Uh, and phantosmia is when there is no specific smell around but you end up smelling it so for example if you're sitting in a perfectly nice atmosphere and you start smelling smoke that is phantosmia and that is something that is quite often reported in in literature and i'm hearing a lot from our study patients as well so these are the usual common ones that's popping up more often than others headache is also another one i heard that you're dealing with brain fog but that you also had issues with your sense of smell what happened to you um i'm dealing with fatigue if you really ask me what i'm dealing with i'm dealing with fatigue fatigue that comes in and goes uh, my symptoms have been uh, been phasing in and out over the lo- over the last one year um the sense of smell wasn't there like during my uh, during the acute infection i completely lost my sense of taste and t- sense of smell the sense of taste came back in about two to three months the sense of smell wasn't back at all for almost a year and uh, I was also getting distorted smell, phantosmia, I would smell smoke, I would smell sometimes uh, rotting garbage when it is not there and uh, my sense of smell is coming back slowly. Um, the start of this year I could smell grilled cheese sandwich and you know it smelled like hope which was great. So sense of smell is still an issue but it's not that bad but the fatigue is something that just uh, knocks you around because you never know uh, when it's going to come and hit you. Manali, we've we've heard that the Omicron uh, subvariant causes less severe symptoms than some of the earlier variants. Can you have long COVID symptoms following an Omicron infection? Theoretically, yes, because the Omicron is so near. So you have to understand that the definition tells you three months or more, right, from the time of your acute infection. The Omicron uh, wave happened like quite in the near vicinity. So we still have to see how many of them will end up getting those long-term long-haul symptoms. Right now at the three-month phase, yes, we are getting reports of patients who who are having persistent symptoms and falls under the umbrella of a long COVID diagnosis. That said, we are still not at the six months or we don't know what will happen at 12 months. Why do some people and not others get long COVID? That's an excellent question. That is a 
literally the topic of interest that is the topic of intense research right now there was a fantastic paper that came out recently they tried to look at what might be the factors that predispose you to long covid the study looked at patients who had the infection and then followed them almost up to three or four months post-infection and they saw that people who actually had those symptoms and reported long COVID symptoms at three, four months after their acute infection generally had some common threads and they, they came up with three to four different uh, factors. One is if you've, you've, if you've been a diabetic, so you, if you've been a diabetic, your chances of ha- having long COVID is higher. If you've had previous infections with other viruses like the cytomegalovirus, CMV, or the Epstein-Barr virus, then your body remain, retains the memory of those viruses and uh, y- your chances of having long COVID is again um, higher. And if you have certain circulating autoantibodies that uh, may have been something you had before because we have no other way of knowing because we don't have the pre-COVID uh, information for most of these people, uh, or you could have spiked those autoantibodies during the acute phase of the infection and you are more prone to having long COVID uh, symptoms. So um, I guess there is no specific answer. Demographic-wise, you're seeing more women. uh, You're seeing more younger people. So between the 30 and the 55 range, a lot of working population who are reporting long COVID. Now you have even, even quite a number of reports coming out in children who have long COVID. So it's a fantastic question, but unfortunately, I cannot give you a definitive answer. Do we know at this point how common or uncommon long COVID is? I'm glad you asked that question. Um, So here's how I'm going to answer it. Long COVID is nothing but a post-viral syndrome. So after a bad viral infection, having those lingering symptoms or ending up with a diagnosis for life uh, is not unheard of. So you do have post-viral syndrome after you have a bad bout of flu. With COVID, the sheer numbers that has been affected, there is obviously a percentage of patients who will have those lingering syndromes. And because the numbers are so high and the percentage of the total number is so high, you're hearing more and more reports. Now, if we look at three months post-infection and if you look at one or two symptoms, there is report from anywhere between 30% to 60% of those who got infected having long COVID. If you look at a six month, post six month or post 12 month, the the numbers start going down. From research, from the reports that are coming out from my own study, we are seeing that patients do get better at the 12 month range. A significant proportion of patients who have reported long COVID symptoms at three months with high inflammatory markers seen in their uh, blood they all attenuate by the time they come to the 12 months. But do all of them attenuate? No. There is a subset that still remains with persisting symptoms and still having some of their inflammatory markers high. So the answer is, conservatively speaking, maybe 10% will end up with long COVID and maybe a percentage of them will end up with a diagnosis for life. We're still trying to understand what exactly is that percentage and the prevalence. What if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. 
when do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. You mentioned that uh, long COVID seems to affect women more than men and younger people. Do we have any idea why that is so? Look, there might be two things. One is a scientific answer. The the other one is a social answer. So from the scientific side, one of the key hypotheses that is being investigated, and I am one of them who's also very much invested in that hypothesis, is that there is an underlying autoimmune pathology that is uh, that, that is associated with all these long COVID symptoms and possibly some of these patients are kind of heading towards a, a rheumatological complication or a diagnosis. We know that women are more prone towards autoimmune uh, conditions. There are certain autoimmune conditions that are more relevant in women than in men. So it might be some of those sex differences that are underlying the complications, the immunological underpinnings of long COVID associated with autoimmunity. That's my scientific answer. The other answer is that women, I guess, um, are coming up more and reporting these symptoms because they are truly worried about the amount of work they're trying to juggle not being, because because I think women multitask, uh, at least statistically, or at least what we know in gen- general, women are more multitasker. They're managing home, they're managing work, their school. So when you end up having those brain fog or when you have that fatigue and you're not being able to juggle as much and you're, you're really struggling, I think um, that's when it really gets reported. How many people recover completely from long COVID? We are two years into the pandemic. Uh, long COVID got literally defined a year back. It is a post condition, which means time is a factor here. Time is literally the limiting factor for me to answer this question. Majority of people by 12 months, they are showing improved symptoms. In fact, the patient reported symptoms are showing improvement. So I would say if we take one year as a, as, as a time point, Possibly 10 to 15 percent of those who got infected uh, would still retain persistent symptoms. We will have to see what happens at 24 months and maybe my answer will change. There will be a subset who might end up with a diagnosis for life. We're seeing that as well. Uh, That might be 1 to 5 percent. But again, these are speculative numbers. We will know more as the studies come out. My study is actually looking at that to see how many people will end up with a diagnosis of uh, autoimmune disease or rheumatological complication that would require intervention throughout their life. Is there anything that we can see inside the brains of people who have long COVID who are part of that 10 to 15 percent or, or in other parts of their body? Because the symptoms are so varied, um, the way long COVID is being managed uh, medically, the medical community, they're literally dissecting the symptoms and then they're sending, the, 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 the specialty is looking at the symptoms. So if somebody has a continuous GI problem, it's the gastroenterologists who are looking after that. If the patient has a respiratory, continuing respiratory symptom, then the respirologists are looking at that. If they're having a neurological symptom, the neuro- neurologists are looking at that. So when it comes to the brain, there is a study that came out uh, from UK where they had pre-brain scans before the patients got infected with COVID. And when they look at, looked at the post-brain scans and there is 0.2 to 2% shrinkage of brain matter. 
Um, and the affected areas are, interestingly enough, associated with your sense of smell and your memory retrieval and encoding, which means that kind of explains the, 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 the loss of smell or the distorted smell that is being reported. And that also associates with the memory fog, the brain fog that is being reported. Uh, we yet have to see whether those things are uh, irreversible. The brain does have their way of getting rewired. So um, at the moment, yes, there is evidence that uh, your, brain, your brain does get affected. Some people, in some people, post-COVID. Uh, I don't know if that happens with everybody. I don't know if that has happened with me. Um, but I also believe that the brain rewires. Do we see any corresponding uh, permanent changes uh, in the lungs or in the gastrointestinal tract of people who have those long COVID symptoms? Oh, absolutely. Like I said, there's going to be a percentage, a small subset of patients who will end up with a diagnosis for life. So in the um, study, the systematic report that was published last year, uh, it, they showed almost 5% of patients who reported long COVID symptom ended up with a diagnosis of pulmonary fibrosis which is a pretty bad and a severe disease, requires intervention, and it's not the best diagnosis to get. I, I still don't know the percentage of patients who end up with a rheumatological disease, like an autoimmune disease, because autoimmune diseases takes time to progress and end up showing those clinical symptoms that can confirm. But that said, we do have a patient within six months who was absolutely healthy, otherwise healthy uh, previous to COVID, but has ended up with a diagnosis of uh, inflammatory arthritis, with antibodies that are diagnostic markers for uh, lupus. So we, we will have to see how, how these goes, but there is definitely a small subset of patients who are already at the one-year mark coming, uh, being getting diagnosed with a disease for life that will require intervention throughout. How well do vaccines protect against long COVID? We do not yet have data for that. And the reason is most of the post-COVID studies, the long COVID studies that are being reported they are reporting patients who got the infection when they didn't even get that first dose. Now we are having patients who have had COVID despite having their uh, vaccines. So we still are waiting for all that data to come in and for a proper big sample size, the correct sample size to uh, make sure that we come to the right conclusion. So uh, theoretically, if you are vaccinated, your body will have, your immune system will have more idea of how to deal with the virus. So it will be less confused, which means less hyper response maybe. Uh, we do know that vaccines uh, help in reducing the severity of the disease, hospitalizations, ICU admissions. So which means that the, the chances of your body being that inflamed for it to come back to normal, that, ha that window has been closed. But we do see, we are still seeing, and we are getting the reports that people who were vaccinated uh, either with one dose or two doses, they're coming in with the reports of long COVID. So the prevalence and the percentages, we are not in a position to right now even say because we don't know yet properly. Are there any specific treatments for long COVID? Not yet. Uh, like I said, the way long COVID is being like handled by the medical community is by dissecting the symptoms. You have lots of long COVID clinics that has popped up uh, nationally and it seems like everybody's taking the same approach because the symptoms are so varied, the symptoms are being dissected. If you have uh, respiratory symptoms, a respirologist is looking you up. If you're ha having uh, you know, rheumatological symptoms, a rheumatologist is uh, seeking you out and they are doing 
their specialist test and they're trying to manage the symptoms and treat the symptoms um, as they as the guidelines would say as they would do it in their normal practice so right now that's how it's being uh, dealt with Manali, what's one big research development that you're looking for that will help answer some questions in the short term about long COVID? The best thing that science can do, and I think everybody's trying to find that, is to find that predictive biomarker that can tell you uh, how long you'll have long COVID and when those symptoms will uh, recede or you will be freed of it and you'll be back to your normal health. So finding those predictive biomarkers would be great. Uh, also the monitoring biomarkers, which means uh, if I can you know, follow you up as a patient and check those biomarkers and see whether you're actually going towards something or actually getting towards healing, you know, that would be a great way because then you can actually tell your patients, you can actually give them that hope that you're on a path to recovery, you know, take it, do what you're doing, take it slow and you will be in, in your 100% health soon enough. So getting those biomarkers, I think, is so important. And to understand those biomarkers, you need to find the, the mechanisms that, ha- that, that are causing um, the symptoms. So I think that's the breakthrough we need. We need to know what is it that's causing these symptoms and the different myriad of symptoms and to find the biomarkers that will tell us whether this, pa- this patient is going to actually heal and what is the time frame for that patient and whether and they'll end up with the diagnosis for life. So then you can deal with the healthcare and, uh, and their treatment strategy accordingly. Well, Manali Mukherjee, I hope your biomarkers are on the right trend on a glide path to a complete recovery. And I want to thank you for speaking with us. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Manali Mukherjee is an assistant professor of medicine at McMaster University and affiliate scientist with the Research Institute of St. Joe's Hamilton. Here's your dose of smart advice. Post-COVID-19 condition or long COVID occurs in people who have a history of probable or confirmed COVID infection, usually three months from the onset of COVID-19 with symptoms that last for at least two months. The symptoms cannot be explained by an alternative diagnosis. The most common symptoms include extreme fatigue, brain fog, shortness of breath on exertion, cough, joint aches, chest pain, rashes, and loss of sense of smell. We don't yet know how often long COVID occurs in people who have been infected with the Omicron variant. Long COVID symptoms are more likely to occur in women than men and are also more likely to occur in young adults. Other factors that increase the likelihood of long COVID include diabetes and prior infection with certain viruses. 85 to 90% of people with long COVID have recovered completely one year after contracting the coronavirus. Doctors follow the progress of patients by measuring biomarkers of inflammation in the bloodstream. Those blood tests tend to return to normal in patients who recover. Depending on the symptoms that persist, those with long COVID may have noticeable changes in their brain or lung scans, as well as measurable joint inflammation and damage. Doctors have theorized that getting a set of COVID vaccines helps prevent long COVID, but this has not yet been proven. Many so-called long COVID clinics have cropped up during the pandemic. However, there is no scientifically proven treatment for long COVID. See your doctor if you have the typical symptoms and have not recovered within three months. Until researchers come up with more answers, your best advice is to get lots of sleep, take breaks during the day, get regular exercise, and eat healthy. If you have topics you'd like covered or questions answered, tweet me at NightShiftMD, at CBC Podcasts, or at CBC White Coat, hashtag the dose CBC. 
Our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. If you like what you heard today, please rate us five stars so more people can find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Stephanie Dubois. Technical operations were by Lauda Antonelli. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. If you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca/podcasts.